Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Heat rose from Rebecca Parcell's chest, climbed her neck, and stamped a flush on her cheeks. She knew what would happen next. It was time for the toasts. Steady now, Daniel Alloway whispered. They stood alone in a corner of a crowded ballroom. His good hand brushed hers for reassurance. His other hand hung at his side, deadened by the injury he'd incurred, escaping from a British prison ship a year ago. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network, and today I'm talking to Mally Becker. Her new novel, The Counterfeit Wife, is the second in her Revolutionary War series and covers the proliferation of counterfeit money that really did occur. Following the Declaration of Independence, British loyalists continued their quest to undermine the new democracy. The story is filled with accurate period details, concerns about social norms, and the personal struggles of the young protagonists who must pretend to be married during a time when any other relationship was unacceptable. Hi, Mally. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So how did you become interested in the Revolutionary War period, and what led you to begin the series? Um, I did not think I was going to be writing books when I volunteered at the closest uh, National Historical Park I'm here in New Jersey. I thought I would be clearing trails, and instead, the Morristown National Historical Park assigned me to the archives. I was kind of disappointed, but I thought it would be bad form to back out. And and that's what made me fall in love with uh, the American Revolution. I found letters, um, for example, from William Patterson, trash-talking Aaron Burr. How come you're up in Connecticut when the action is all down here in New Jersey? And all of a sudden, these formal, stiff portraits uh, started coming to life. And, and then I found an indictment dated 1780 for the crime of traveling to New York City from New Jersey without the government's permission. And I, I think because I grew up in and around New York City, that really offended me. And I, I took this uh, document dated from the middle of the American Revolution to the park historian and said, what the heck? Um, and, and he, in much politer language than this said, oh, honey, sit down and let me tell you about the real revolution. And he told me that historians believe as little as one third of New Jersey residents supported the revolution. One third supported King George and the final third was just too exhausted to have an opinion. And, and that was so different. 
uh, from anything I had heard. He he said that there were so many um, local residents here in New Jersey spying and for the British and smuggling goods into British-held New York City that the government made it a crime to travel. And, and this, for whatever reason, and I'm still not sure what the reason was, um, started me playing the writer's game of what if, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing. You know, what must it have been to live in such a divided time as if we didn't know, um, what what would it have been like to be a young woman and discover my husband was one of those spies? And and that's really where the book began. Hmm. You were a lawyer by training. Did any of your understanding of the Revolutionary War period come from your legal training? If not, can you say more? Well, I, I think my interest in the indictment or just the fact that I stopped to read it came from uh, a lawyer's curiosity. What, what was the law like back then? Um, and I did find other documents as I went along. I, I love research. And I discovered that uh, if, for example, your neighbor accused you of being a loyalist, uh, the government had the right to uh, confiscate your property. You know, it could be as little as as accusations if if you couldn't prove that they were unfounded. And in in law, I used to, I used to call that uh, proving the null set. It's it's very hard to prove the negative, and and that's part of what happens to one of my main characters in in the first book in my series because it is a series, um, she has to prove her loyalty to the new nation. She's been accused of uh, having loyalist sympathies. So, so I think being having been a lawyer um, created kind of uh, a filter that I saw a lot of events through. Um. How did George Washington learn about the proliferation of counterfeit money, and what did he do about it historically? Uh, I'm not. I don't think he could do much about it. Uh, it really was a problem. The British, uh, the British were printing fake money um, to to upend the economy, and also. Um, to create dissatisfaction with this new revolutionary government. You know, you you can't even control your own currency. And currency was a problem. Each colony had its own. It it was a mess. And Congress had so little authority back then. Um, One thing that many of the colonies did was make counterfeiting a capital crime. So you that that shows how serious a problem it was. You could be uh, executed if you were found guilty of of counterfeiting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, why was Daniel your your one of your protagonists? Why was he being held by the British? And do we need to read the Turncoat's Widow? to find out how he escaped. 
I, of course, would love it if you read The Turncoat's Widow, but it's, it is not absolutely necessary to understand or enjoy book two in the series, uh, The Counterfeit Wife. Uh, part of how I developed the plots was bumping into things I knew nothing about that fascinated me. And one of the things I discovered was that the British held American prisoners in prison ships off the coast of Brooklyn. Um, and more, more American soldiers died on these prison ships than in all the battles of the American Revolution together. So Daniel is swept up uh, by the British along with soldiers uh, and, and imprisoned, and he's given the option to um, switch loyalty, not that he was all that loyal, to become a British soldier, to, to become a redcoat, and then he, he would have, might have been released. And, and with a young man's confidence, he turns down that offer uh, and eventually escapes, is one of the few people who did escape from the actual prison ships. Um, but I, I just thought it was fascinating that these stories of these ships have not come down um, through history, or at least it wasn't something that I had learned in high school or, or college. Uh, and that, that said to me, you know, his, the cliche history is written by the victors, but it's also mostly written about their victories. And this, these prison ships were not part of that story of American victory. Right. And it's not like the British are going to comment about that. Right. Um, how did George Washington know that Rebecca was so talented with numbers, accounts, and codes? Well, well, that is part of, of the first book. Um, Becca uh, grew up poor in Northwest New Jersey. Her, her father was a blacksmith, and she handled his accounts for customers. Uh, she learned math early. She thought it was a game and that everybody enjoyed it as much as she did. And her, her talent with math and numbers uh, helps helps her and Daniel uncover a plot in the Turncoat's Widow that threatened threatened the new nation. Uh, so uh, Washington, who spent two winters in Morristown, where Becca lived, uh, was impressed by by her ability. And when he uh, is looking for uh, someone to uh, uncover the traders who are spreading counterfeits in Philadelphia. He, of course, thinks of her and Daniel, who had been a printer. So somebody who, who knows how counterfeit money would be printed and what would be necessary. <laughs> so you have some wonderful descriptions. And one of my favorites uh, was about Becca. Quote, she was not shy, she was not delicate, and more to the point, she and Daniel were not married. Can you say more? 
Becca uh, is is an unusual spy in that she um, she hates lying. She's very uncomfortable lying, and this uh, this disguise they're wearing, uh, meaning that they're masquerading as a married couple, uh, has her on edge for a, a good part of the book. Um, she never fit, doesn't feel like she fits in. She's, um, she's got very dark hair and she's tall. Uh, she's not a delicate, uh, young thing. She never learned needlepoint. She is absolutely terrified of dancing the minuet. Um, but if you need somebody to go hunting for you to, uh, add to your, um, stores of meat. She's she's your woman. So so I'm glad you like that phrase though, because I I like writing that. Um, Mr. Burns is the host who's who who is in on the 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 story that Rebecca that Becca and Daniel are married. He knows. He says, quote, the poor are starving and they can't afford bread. How soon until people seek another king, another tyrant who swears that only he can save them? My thought about that is, wow, guess there's nothing new under the sun. What's your take? Isn't that something? Um, that's what fascinates me about the whole period. I know it seems so long ago the American Revolution and so obvious what the outcome was going to be. Um, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. And there were there were more than 30 food riots during during the American Revolution, some of them, by the way, led by women. Um, there was suspicion, distrust, uh, bad mouthing politicians, uh, the times change, but human nature doesn't. So I, like you, I, I felt that as, as something I could almost touch. It was so immediate. Mm-hmm. And then what gave you the idea of including Benjamin Franklin's daughter in the cast of characters? Well, that's historically accurate. Um, one of the things that made me focus on Philadelphia um, you know, times of chaos create change. And the first women's, I don't know if you'd call it a political action committee, but it was pretty darn close, was formed in 1780 in Philadelphia uh, by a woman who, who wrote an essay that included the phrase, women, American women are born for... Um, Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Born for Liberty. And her name was Esther Reed. And her number two was Benjamin Franklin's adult daughter, who actually took over the organization um, in the fall, a little bit after my book ends. So um, I I loved her, <laughs> Sally, Sally Franklin Beige. Um, she could read and write. She corresponded with her very absent father. She seemed to have adored him. Um, I just thought she was a great character. Yeah, she was. And she quoted him. That was fun. That was fun for me, too. Um, Daniel, 
he was once a printer and he decides to reacquaint himself with Philadelphia printers. Can you explain further? Daniel, when Daniel escaped the British uh, prison ship, he incurred a career ending injury. Uh, His, he's, uh, I don't know if you'd call it disabled, but his, his hand has been injured. He can't operate the press. Um, It was physical work. And he, he really grieves the end of that career and hasn't quite found his way into an, a new one. So being put in a position where he has to uh, interview the printers of Philadelphia to find clues as to which of them is working with or knows about the counterfeiters um, creates uh, problems for him. Uh, real tension, and he's he's grappling with um, his own sadness uh, about losing losing the job he loved. And I thought that added to the emotional tension of the book. Um, I didn't know that's what he would be doing when I started writing it, but it made me sad for him, and I thought that was a good thing. So mm-hmm. I left it. In. And then Hannah is a healer who helps everyone in the town, but struggles with what she calls her blue demon. Can you say more? Um, I'm going to leave some of Hannah's background uh, out because it's a spoiler. But uh, she's she's a woman who um, struggles with depression in a time where that that really wasn't uh, a word that was known, um, and it has altered her life in material ways and made it much harder for her. Um, she also ha- had a wicked case of postpartum depression specifically, and in some ways has been running from her own life uh, ever since that episode of postpartum depression. I thought Blue Demon was a really good title for it, a good description of it. Yeah, when when yeah. people don't don't have the shorthand we have, they they have to come up with their own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, Mally, I loved it. Can't wait for the next book to come out. What are you working on now and when is it coming out? I am working on the next book in this uh, Revolutionary War series. It will take place in Paris and uh, we'll be meeting Benjamin Franklin directly. Uh, He was our ambassador there during the war. For years, right? Yes. And uh, it will be coming out in late 2023. Mm. I'm looking forward to it for one. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure, Mally. You stepped on my line. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining me today. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been speaking to Mally Becker, author of The Counterfeit Wife, Hope you all have a wonderful novel to cuddle with today and every day. Happy reading.